Welcome to the, what month is this? November. November 2012 episode of Behind the DM Screen. It's three DMs chatting about their games and helping each other out. Yes. Uh, and that's all of our introduction. Mike, go. Oh, man. I'm not ready. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to start the timer yet because I want you guys to decide what I'm going to talk about tonight. Uh, I had three kind of interesting games that happened, and all of them are worthy of 20 minutes of conversation, so I'm not going to try to pack them into one talk. Um, okay. I ran a D&D Next conversion of Ravenloft the weekend before Halloween as my big Halloween adventure, and the first of a many-year tradition of running Ravenloft as a Halloween adventure, because we had such a great time and I want to do it again. Uh, so we could talk about that, isn't or that, we can that, talk isn't about... is that my old tradition that I told you about last time? Yeah, I, I think I stole the idea from you, okay, but I didn't on. run it as Gamma World, so I'm hoping you're going to oh, talk right. about your Gamma World one. I, I will a bit. Uh, I also am running the Isle of Dread uh, as my D&D Next playtest. The, the D&D Next playtest packet is out, and it includes the Isle of Dread in it, and I've been playing it, and it's awesome. And I did a, but I actually had a game on Halloween night. So for that game, it was my regular game. And I did a uh, uh, kind of a Day of the Dead celebration in the village of Tenoria, Tanaroa, the, the main native village. So I can talk about that and some really interesting stuff that happened there. Or I can talk about the game I ran last night where the party have traveled deep into the Isle of Dread and I'm running random encounters and doing exploration and like stuff I haven't done ever, really, and most people haven't done for 30 years. So which of those three do you want to hear about? Um, I want to hear about the ongoing one because then we can look to the future as well. Okay. I want to hear about Isle of Dread. Okay. All right. which, is, which is the same one, isn't it? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I so just wanted to make sure on. we were... Yeah. Hang on. Now I'm going to... Start your timer. Set timer for 20 minutes. Okay, 20 minutes and counting. All right, so now we're good. Our assistant is on it. Yep. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I'm going to do a very brief summary of what happened on the Halloween night adventure. Uh, the party has been – the party has traveled to the Isle of Dread, and they have numerous paths that they can cross. As we know, I'm, I'm running my lazy DM game where I do almost no preparation at all. And uh, But I do kind of leave some story seeds in their way, one of which is that slavers have been ravaging the native villages and setting them on fire and kidnapping, you know, kidnapping native villagers and taking them off. And uh, also that the um, – this is set in Eberron, which is really – you know, Isle of Dread and Eberron is really weird because there's not a lot of Eberron going on here really. Um, the uh, – uh, there are Dakani ruins, these old uh, hobgoblin and goblinoid uh, empire from 10,000 years ago. Have left lots of interesting artifacts all over the place, and one of their main temples is in the middle of the Isle of Dread. And the party uh, received a notice that there is an artifact there that they want—a third idol of three—that will unlock some secret, uh, you know, some secret vault full of awesomeness. And then uh, there is also their continual hunt for dragon shards, which are all over the place. But they find out they have found out that there is a new, you know, many caches of dragon shards in the Isle of Dread that has been almost completely untouched because nobody goes there. So if they can unlock, you know, that path of of dragon shards, they can get rich. And many of the PCs, many of the players and the, the their PCs are very profit driven. They want to set up a business. They want to set up a trade route between the Isle of Dread that's and a, that's Port a common theme for your players, isn't it? Uh, profit. 
Yeah, I guess they, they love did, their businesses. Yeah. They, did, they did the same thing in Guardboard, didn't they? They had a whole Ponzi scheme. You said, yeah, yeah. They, I guess they always tend to go towards. It's funny thing is, there's different people running these businesses, different players. Running these businesses. <laughs> Everybody gets a turn. Um, yeah, so they spent an evening. Uh, they they went to Tenaroa, which is a native village, and they had an evening where um, uh, the Halloween night evening, where a full moon rose over the village, and all of the dead ancestors of the Tenaroans came out of the earth and hung out with them. And the Tanneroans treated them like they were family and would show off new babies that had been born in the last year. And they would dance and like an old dead father would take her daughter, take his daughter and put it on her shoulders and walk her around. And, you know, they have one night where they would be with their relatives and then and, but it freaked the party out. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. And then at the end of the night, they would they, they would go back into the earth again. And this is just something that happens in Tanneroa every year, you know, every every Halloween. Uh, or at Halloween in our time, you know, their time. It's just this one time a year where it happens. Right. And uh, the slavers happened, as as one player put it last night, boy, they picked the wrong night to attack Tanaroa. Um, <laughs> the slavers attacked Tanaroa, and the slavers got there before the dead came out of the earth. So the um, party fought, you know, fought off a band of slavers, but the slavers are getting to be overwhelming. It's nice in Next that you can now overwhelm, you know, players. Mm-hmm. Um, and not have it go for two hours. So they, um, you know, slavers kept coming, and finally the dead start showing up. And like, you know, the player character is like, uh oh, you know, like this guy just crawled out of the air. It's a pretty, you know, seven foot tall zombie, and it punches, you know, punches a hole right through one of the slavers. And they're like, uh oh, like, well, at least it's going after the slavers. And then they find out that it's the relatives, and this is a common thing that happens. And pretty much every, there was a couple people that were, un, they didn't like it very much. Their player, the, the characters didn't like it very much. And then there were, a couple of people are like, hey, you know, who am I to tell these group what the, how their lives should be? But the cleric in our group hated it and was ready to turn undead on all of them. Oh, and wow. managed to build like a, a circle of protection that he stayed in for the whole night. And the next day he said, I'm leaving. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not with these people and I'm walking out. And the only person he talked to was like the one sort of village outcast who is a seasoned sailor and said, you know, it'd be a real shame if you blew a business opportunity to open up a trade route with this <laughs> There's a lot going on. And she's like, damn, you know, like he's the one that wants the trade route real bad. So uh, anyway, so they all said, all right, we are whatever. We're going through the big doors or we're going into, um, you know, we're going into the Isle of Dread. And if you guys have taken a look at the playtest or if you've looked at the Isle of Dread adventure, there's a very heavily like hex based overland exploration system. Yeah. And- I've never done anything like that before. So there's a lot of like, okay, you know, two hours takes you Northwest and, you know, one of the players has the big hex map and he draws a little line to the Northwest. And then I'm like, okay, you roll a D six and he rolls and it's a three. And I said, okay, it's drizzling. Cause there's a whole weather system that's drizzling and, you know, cold and nasty. And I say, no, you roll a D six and they roll and they roll a five. And then I roll on the monster table and I'm like, tiger, big tiger, saber tooth tiger attacks. And, you know, so it's completely random encounters and, and they can go in any direction they want to go They're You know, they kind of see little bits and different, you know, the, the, they see all the adjacent hexes as they're going. So they can kind of get an idea. Do I want to go in the forest or the swamp or whatever? And uh, like they got attacked by big gorillas right away. Um, you know, as soon as the doors opened, they got attacked by gorillas that were on the other side. And that was all randomly determined. And uh, then the they King Kong thing going on there. It was. Yeah. Except they weren't like one big giant. They, they saw the gates and we're like oh my god king kong and yeah and <laughs> big apes but they were just man-sized apes you know right but they fought those guys and then they ran into some neanderthals and they killed the neanderthals and then they, those they are the good guys though oh these were bad neanderthals oh okay and then they ran into uh 
a huge saber-toothed tiger and um, uh, Michelle's character charmed it and kind of sent it off, you know, then just it calmed it, right? So it's calm and it's kind of, and it kind of goes over to her and she has this moment, you know, it's like a bear-sized tiger, right? And it bumps its head against her and she starts petting it and it purrs and it's vibrating the ground when it purrs and like scary, but you know, and then it kind of wanders off and they see that it has like a, a, a brand on it, that it's got a mark on it. Um, you know, on its, on its, you know, one of its front haunches and it, you know, ambles off back into the woods and then they're, they go on a little ways and I think they fought the Neanderthals after that. And then they're in the swamp. And at this point in the map, there's a big tar pit, but they didn't find the tar pit when they were doing nature checks and stuff. So they're starting to wade into the tar pit. It's getting stickier and nastier and they're not really sure what's going on and they're sinking and then they're fighting their way out. And then they throw a grappling hook and a, and a, and a paw reaches out and grabs the grappling hook. And it's not a tiger, but it's one of the Rustikas. Yes. Yeah, which are like a, you know, cause there's a Rustika village nearby and you know, the Rustikas are kind of, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right at all. You know, someone can comment on them. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. Rakastas. So they, I think it's Rakastas. Yeah. It's awful lot like Rakshasa. But. It is, but it's not quite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> demon things um so it grabs it and it's kind of you know like i don't know who these guys are and what they're doing in my place but i'll not i'm not gonna let them drown in the tar pits they can come out so the end of the adventure was them drawing you know them pulling themselves out of the tar pit with this scimitar wielding cat person you know standing right in front of them and and the tiger comes out right like the tiger is there too and it turns out the saber tooth tiger was this guy's mount or whatever you know this guy's pet that they ran into and, you know, the cool bit about all this is this is all random encounter generated. Like, you know, I didn't plan anything. So, you know, I actually, the, the, the evening, you know, a week ago, a week ago on Wednesday, after they had um, had the whole crazy Halloween thing, I said, like, next week you have a choice, you know, you'll you, two choices are open to you and potentially more depending on what you guys want to do. But the two clear ones that I see are you can go after the slavers or you can go into Isle of Dread. And they were ready to be like, oh, I guess we better decide now. And I said, and you get to decide that next week. Right. And that's the because <laughs> normally I say, where are you guys going to go? And then I can build out a giant dwarven forge system and I can, you know, plan all the monsters ahead of time and I can have all the minis ready and I can have all that stuff. And I purposefully said, I don't even want to know if you're going to go after the slavers of the Isle of Dread. So that way I have you can't prep. And, um, you know, that's kind of a nice way to force, uh, uh, you know, force a, a, you know, improvised game. And I tell you, I've done probably, I don't know eight or eight to 10 of these improvised games with very, very little. And they've been really fun. You know, they're the players. Really them. I'm doing, you know, I, I, I think for the last two weeks, I spent under five minutes of prep for each week. Mm-hmm. Just took out a three by five card. I wrote down where they start and I wrote down three areas where they could go. And it's just enough for me to feel like I got a handle on things. And then I go off and do other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's wow. great. Yeah. And I've, and I've, um, started working up some little things to, to jot down and, and, and ins- things that were inspired by, um, by having been a, an early reader of, of what you're working on for lazy DM. Um, and, but of course, one of the things that I'm, I look at and I typically think about when I'm doing that, I'm doing that kind of prep is, um, making sure that encounters matter, mm-hmm. which is inherently difficult to do when you're doing random, random encounters, you know? Yeah. 
interesting. There's two interesting pieces of that one is uh, in in next. I don't feel act. The whole battle was under. It was like eight or nine minutes, and it was mm-hmm. all, like we didn't even pull out minis. And you know, you can have a battle like that, and it's not. You don't want it boring. Like you still want to describe what these guys are doing, and you still, you know, and you give the players a lot of options. Actually, there's some theater of the mind stuff I could talk about, but give players a lot of options to do things and you kind of find well what's the hook that makes the whole situation neat but i don't feel the need to uh, kind of make sure that it's a you know it's a, a good big piece of the story because unlike free it's not taking up you know 30 percent of the total table time for one battle sure uh but the other interesting thing is that the random encounters turn into the story right well, and that's, a, that's a, one of the things I was going to mention. It sounds to me like you are taking opportunities as a good DM to find ways to create story out of the random encounters. When you, when you put the brand on the tiger, right. for example. Right, right. And it was, I rolled the tiger. It was a you know, one in 30 shot going to be a tiger. And, but then it made sense. And I was like, hey, it's cool. There's tiger people up there and they can run into the tiger people. So did you know when you, when you put the brand on there that that's what it was going to be? Or did you just put a brand on it and then figure, figure you know, I'll, make that up, I'll figure that out later? There were tiger people, like the nearest village they were headed towards had tiger people. And I thought it would be interesting if they had branded this guy. Okay. Or whatever, marked him somehow, you know. And like I, think have- that, I think that's one of the, the lessons I've learned is that sometimes it's okay just to throw out little things like that, even if you don't know what it's going to be. You know, <laughs> St- stick random signs and sit- sickles on things and, and uh, or give it some sort of weird quirk or whatever. And it might turn into a story thing or you might be able to hook back into it and bring it back later. Or – Maybe you don't, and it's just one of those things, and it's this weird thing about this tiger, and it just adds to the whole fantasy of the situation, you know, and, and makes the world bigger because there's stuff going on right. in the world outside of outside of your adventures. Yeah, one of the so one of the things that that you know from the that I don't really have a good handle on on the lazy DM side is how well it works with fourth edition. You know, I've done some improvised four E stuff, but most of it was low level, and I don't because of the kind of way battles work and things like that, I don't know if you can, because the battles are big and take a long time, you want them to matter a lot. And, you know, I don't know if you can just kind of off the cuff generate, you know, big, interesting battles with lots of interesting hooks. You know, I, I would say no, but that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done it. sometimes, And, and I think that, you have kind of the right tools on hand, you can. It's not something I have as much. The funny thing is I have more experience doing it with Next now than I do with 4E. Sure. And I, th- I, I guess it's, I feel like it depends on the kind of story that you're doing and the, and the kind of session you're having. I think you, could, you can do that for two-thirds of your adventures, you know? Um, the and, time. And then when you need to start wrapping up some storylines, then you have to go back to a higher prep, you know, to, to make sure that things are going to be ready to go for those climactic moments. Didn't do a lot of prep with Gardmore either, and I never really told people still managed to run it. But of course, with Gardmore, you had encounters sort of ready, and you know everything. Mike, you are cutting out a little bit. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. you are. So uh, stop doing that. I'll stop. I'll, I'll I'll push bandwidth or something. Fix the internet now. Stupid Skype. So, um, if you, but if people are listening, we, we're aware of that. <laughs> you know, or and we there's nothing we can do. And it won't get lost in the network on the way. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think a, a copy of the Monster Vault and, and a copy of the DM kit 
you know, with the traps and hazards in it and some good poster maps. And I think you can do an awful lot with it. And if you're an experienced DM who, uh, you know, knows, like, the key components to make a 4E encounter well, mm-hmm. you, I think you can improvise a lot and make those battles pretty interesting. It, it just might be harder because those battles need to have a, a key... You know, each each battle needs to matter pretty significantly to the to the story, whatever that story happens to be. Right. Although, I, and I can speak about this a little bit when it's my turn, but um, Gamer World is pretty darn close to 4E, and and I ran my uh, Halloween game completely improvised. Yeah, I, I love Gamma World, but I actually I, I I think that Gamma World has a lot of 4E components, but it plays a lot faster than 4E. Okay. Power systems and, and there's a lot less. You don't have these like nine-page character sheets, and there's not 38 reactions that somebody in a given time. That's true. I think I think it plays. But the funny thing is, also, Camera World can be a lot more lethal, and that's hard to. Mm-hmm. And so is next. You know, that's the other real trick with next is is you, things can go pretty poorly in next. Although now our characters are level four, and at four they're pretty they're pretty thick. You know they. they takes a lot to really hurt a character. But, you know, two or three bad hits, and they're they're kind of bad. We had a... So what do you do when um, a new playtest packet comes out? Do you have the, everybody sort of recreate their characters from scratch or just try to make some adjustments? Is it that easy, or how do you handle that? I, my playtest rules are that uh, there's there's a couple of, you know, we have a couple of ground rules with playtesting. One is they can change their character, and other than level and ideally name and race... Uh, they can change their character however they want at any point uh, during. Uh, uh, so yeah, they, uh, the players can change their class at any time, and if they decide they want to go from a fighter to a wizard, they can just go from a fighter to a wizard, and, and that's fine. Uh, if they keep the same character, then they can just move their attributes around to whatever is the right attribute. But they keep the scores; they just move them from slot to slot. Uh, and the alternate rule on my side is we always go with whatever the latest playtest packet is. So we, you know, there, I don't think there's a lot of people hanging onto old ideas for a playtest, right? They're not if they change, like you know, for example, I think the latest playtest did not have the warlock or the sorcerer in it, and we had a person playing the sorcerer, and I said like, if you really want to, you can play it, but you're not helping anybody, you know, because they're they're going to put out a new one and and playtesting something they've already determined they want to put out in the in the playtest, so. Um, I think they changed like expertise dice a lot, or whatnot. Was it expertise dice, stunt dice, whatever that's called? Yeah. For yeah. Fighter. Um, dice. Yeah. It's uh, changed. Yeah, so they they lowered it significantly, and like you know, the fighters. I'm assuming that you're saying some really interesting things, but I'm not hearing any of it. Really, is it cutting out? Yeah, a lot. Man. <laughs> Um, hearing you guys just fine. Awesome. Uh, the uh, 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 no, I don't even remember. Apparently, I wasn't saying anything because I didn't. Remember. <laughs> um, talking about swapping out characters and expertise dice, and yes, the expertise dice for the fighter changed, and you know, Michelle was kind of torqued that her fighter got nerfed, and I said, you know, the rules you can complain all you want, but we're always going with whatever the latest playtest hacket is. And and that seemed to be what they've been doing. Yeah, worked well. I think I'll stop there. Give you guys extra time. Well, that's nice of you. Um, since you know we're barely catching some of what you're saying anyway. 
I will ask you one question. Sure. I am familiar with Isle of the Dread, and of course with the new playtest packet, I dug into it and started looking at it. Do you find that it's a little bit more work? Um, it seems to me that the module is not laid out real well. It's kind of disorganized. I haven't, at least to me. Um, I haven't. There, there's. It's a little hard with exploration, but so far, not any. Not any worse than any other adventure. You know, my problem is yeah. I've never been crazy about how adventures are built anyway, like pre-built, right? Because they don't lend themselves to a lot of modification. They're they're written very linearly, and you don't play them linearly. Um, so so far it hasn't been bad, but I haven't gotten too far into exploring the actual Isle of Dread yet. Okay. And the the only part I'm having a hard time with is how how long until my players are bored of walking around on a giant hex map. Right. You know, with random encounters. You know, it's starting to feel like Final Fantasy, you know, where you walk through. <laughs> sure. Know. Luckily. There, there was a, uh, a third edition, no, fourth edition um, Goodman Games module um, in the early days of fourth edition when Goodman Games was still doing a lot of adventures in, fourth, in that edition, right? Um, and it was very much, um, I feel like, trying to capture the, the feel and the experience of the Isle of Dread adventure. And it, it included a big hex map with uh, that was actually on like a, a plastic sheet, like a like an overhead sheet, you know? So you could write all over it and then erase it and use it again and over and over again. Um, I, it was uh, Isle of the Sea Drake is what it was called. Mm. Written by a bunch of the cabbages, as I, as, as I remember. Um, you know what would be interesting? If someone has the uh, Hero Quest, is it Hero Quest? I think it is. Uh, the tiles, the hex tiles. Yeah, right. You could actually set those up. In fact, I did a little thing on on the blog about using the um, Hasbro uh, uh, tiles. That they, there's um, a couple of games that, or the Monopoly uh-huh. game they put out uses hex hex stuff, and I retooled it so that it uses um, terrain. Uh, I put terrain stickers on the different hexes and stuff, and you could actually lay out if you had enough of them. I mean, Isle of Dread's a pretty big map. But if you had enough of them, you could literally lay them out as you go along <laughs> right on. on the table, which would be kind of cool, actually. But Because that's really low preps work, huh? No, but you don't have to preps. <laughs> you, got all the, you got all the tiles that you're laying them out one at a time. I suppose, yeah. You yeah. bet. So you build as you go. Cool. That's it for me. That's it for you. We're done with you. And we'll take a quick break to mention Continue Magazine. At ContinueMag.com is a quarterly magazine about the gaming lifestyle, all kinds of gaming, video gaming, board gaming, and of course, role-playing games as well. So go check them out at ContinueMag.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. 
Issue 3 now available, featuring the rise, fall, and rebirth of adventure gaming. A once mighty genre sits at the cusp of greatness once more. And the history toys. Why mixing real-world fact with in-game fiction provides a richer gaming experience for us all. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com Randall. Yes. Mike, set the timer. Done. Okay. Well, still um, continuing. We actually did get to play this month. Um, it was a little shorter game, um, and they only actually got through one large encounter. But um, that was because we spent about an hour, believe it or not, debating the merits of using the automatic um, uh, attack and st- attack bonuses and stuff, or whatever they call those. Um, you know, where it tells you where where as you go up in level, your AC and your defenses. And your attack bonuses um, improve automatically. Yeah, uh, what do they call that? Uh, bounded. What's it called? Called uh, well, when you when you don't have it go up, it's called bounded accuracy. Yeah, but in four E, what is it? I mean, what is that? What do they call that? Automatic level? It's not leveling. I mean, it's um, but there's a word for it. But it, it's in other words, it you don't have to worry about what magic gear your characters have. Inherent bonuses. Inherent bonuses. That's what it was. Right, exactly. And so um, most of my players finally decided that this was probably a good idea. Um, I had a couple that I think were still confused on the on what it meant exactly or, you know, well, am I going to lose my the abilities of my gear? And I go, no. Um, your gear just does not provide plus bonuses anymore. If it does something else, it'll still be allowed to do that. Um, but it won't, you know, and so we spent like an hour debating that, <laughs> but, um, it was interesting. What did they decide? They decided to go ahead and go with it. Okay. Um, and I was kind of pushing in that direction anyway, mainly cause I'm the DM and it would be easier for me. Yes. <laughs> and so, and, then, and way, then you can make magic items actually matter. Right. Exactly. And they can be all kinds of weird things without having to worry that they're geared correctly for a specific mm-hmm. encounter. And so, and that was my big, uh, you know, that was my big issue. And while I'm, you know, I can do math and stuff like that, it's, you know, I'm lazy and I don't really have time to deal with all that. And so I said, I, and I don't think at this point it didn't do anything but help most of my players. Some of them have, most of them have a split between, it's either like 11th level. Most of them have plus one and plus two gear, right? Um, I think one or two had a plus three item, and it would have gone down according to the inherent bonus chart or whatever. But um, the uh, most of them actually would have improved on their stats a little bit. So I don't think it was – it wasn't too hard of a sell on my end, and the other ones picked up on it pretty quick. Uh, it, I think they were just – some of them were worried that – you know, I've got all, I've got this great armor, and I go, well, your armor is still great. It just doesn't give you a plus bonus anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll still do its special thingy or whatever, you know, once a day power or whatever it is that you, that it has. Although, and correct but, me if I'm wrong, um, but I I think if the the bonus you get from the item is greater than the bonus you get from the inherent bonuses, you can you actually do, can get the plus from the item. Yeah. Oh, is that true? Yeah. So if they're only getting a plus two from inherent bonuses and they have a plus three item, they still get, they can still get the plus three. Oh, okay. Well, that that might make them feel better as well. Mm-hmm. So you have inherent the character builder. I don't think it ever hurts the player. I don't think it ever hurts the PC. Like it just boosts stuff that would be boosted normally. Yes. Right. Yeah, and I understand that. Yeah, 
understand anything above it. Mike said something really insightful there, I'm sure. <laughs> Everybody listening will just assume Mike was brilliant. I said something. And then he said it again, only this time it was witty and funny. Yeah, that's right. I give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we heard that. <laughs> yeah, all of your um all of your clever anecdote stuff disappears, but when you have to, you have to assert yourself, it, it comes through. So you, I get a lot of uh um and then this. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um so we worked on that, and then we had one encounter with um, some of the uh, cultists on the island. Um, and this one, I actually had. Uh, you're, you're back in Mist, right? Yeah, still in, still on Riven, yeah. And um, we, I actually, actually had the bad guy um, run away. Um, you know, he's one of these weenie, you know, cultist guys, and he's kind of one of these uh, priestly guys, but he's kind of a wimp, so. Um, while his, all his minions were attacking the uh, the PCs, he like popped a lever on this giant altar that was like shaped like a fish, but it's actually an elevator that leads down to a sea cave, and he flees <laughs> when, the, when the combat starts. After they after like they took out several minions in one round, and the guy like realizes that they're they're like all screwed, so um, he hits the escape pod or whatever essentially, and mm-hmm. and, and and runs away, and then. When they go up and look, um, he's gone because it's an elevator, right? And so they were trying to figure out exactly what happened there. Um, but it was interesting when they – I said, well, suddenly the giant statue opens up because I told him it was in the shape of one of these warks. I don't remember if you're from last time, you know, whale, kind of a cross between a whale and a shark. It's sort of revered on the island, big mm-hmm. predator. And um, the mouth of it opens up. And that's what – that's how the priest fled. And they're like going, what, what? <laughs> I go, yeah, he just stepped into the mouth of this big fish. So – But um, there I, was a, I, I recall you having a conversation about works with somebody on Twitter. Works, yes, exactly. Uh-huh. So – but that's really – it wasn't a whole lot that happened. Uh, the biggest – like I said, the biggest discussion was over inherent bonuses and should we switch over to them and um, – and the confusion and the resulting confusion, but uh, yeah. Well, my recommendation is to always use inherent bonuses, but that's with the understanding that you kind of do that from the beginning. In- implementing it in the middle of a campaign, like you've done, I think ha- needs to have that conversation. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's correct. And I think that if you want to do magic items as special, you almost ha- you have to do it that way. Yeah. You absolutely yeah. have to. Yeah. I almost feel like fourth edition would have benefited if they had just built the math of inherent bonuses into the game, yeah, and, and instead of building the math of magic items into the game. But we live and learn. Yep. So, and I'm also impressed that your your bad guy got away. Um, I've had many bad guys try to get away. And my party, uh, especially in fourth edition with all their bags of tricks, um, is notoriously good at foiling all of my plans. The nice thing was that the guy was in the back from the beginning, and he actually did an end run around behind the statue. And so they were all up on the li- – on the kind of, there was kind of a ridge uh, that they were firing from. So they had a height advantage and stuff, but they also had – uh, the bad guy had a lot of, of minions, both a minion type and also other warriors that was sort of running block, if you will. And so 
they it was one of the ways one of the reasons he was able to now he got hit in fact he got zapped with i think an eldritch blast pretty hard mm-hmm. um as he was fleeing but it didn't kill him um but it was enough that uh he had enough of a head start that he was able to get away well it sounds like you also had him run away early whereas i think i my mistake is i always let him i always you know at least have him hold out till they're bloodied or something you know right and then you know, they try to run away, and everybody pulls out every trick they can find, and they knock him down, and they make him stick around for one or two more rounds, and he's dead. You know. Well, I had a couple of reasons for that. Um, one was that I wanted, I wanted some variety in the way that the monsters be- react. It, it, sometimes it gets really old that the monsters just attack till they die. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. And that doesn't make sense. And if the bad guy immediately saw that he was facing five very powerful foes, um, he and he's totally the kind of kind of cowardly to begin with um i mean you know he's a servant of gan and you know they're they're kind of strange anyway you know how cultists can be you know it was like you know i'm getting out of here <laughs> i might hold him off later and until i'm with some of my brothers or whatever but i'm not going to stick around for this and so he sent the rest of them to their death and and he fled so yeah right. and it gave and it gave the uh, the second thing was that it gave the party an idea that Oh, this leads somewhere, mm-hmm. and so they can then pursue that if they wish or whatever. So it, it it accomplished a couple of things doing that. So now, what are your plans with that that leader now? Like he got away, he's out there. What, mm-hmm. what what's he doing while the party's doing their thing? He's probably he's recovering for one thing, and then he's going back to where the, um, if for lack of a better word, religious leaders on the island. Uh, He's going to an island where the religious leaders of Gen gather, and so he will probably hold up there until the party gets over there. But he'll be he'll be healing and things like that. Um, but and then, they and be, then when they show up and just just as strong, if not stronger, does he just surrender? No, no, no. They'll, he'll be enforced though with other spellcasters of his type, and so it will be. He'll be bolstered mm-hmm. in that sense, and so he'll make a sta- He'd much rather make a stand in a place where he's familiar than um, than where he was at mm-hmm. initially. So, uh, although I think it's still worth noting, I mean, part of the point was he ran away because he's cow- oh, yeah. cowardly. I think at a certain point, even in that final fight, he should probably end up just giving up and saying, "All right, you win. Don't kill me, please." <laughs> you know, sort of. <laughs> and he might too, because all of these guys are natives, and they've been convinced by Gen that. Um, that Gen is a god, mm-hmm. and so hence that's why they're cultists. And so, uh, yeah, there's always a possibility that um, he could decide to uh, to force war again and and sure. go to the other side. So that might be an interesting thing. Actually, I might even try something like that to I'm see what happens. I'm just trying to trying to consider like because the villain getting away and then suddenly becoming very brave in a later encounter and fighting to the death. Is very common, and I'm trying to think of ways that if it was me, I would try to make it a little less cliche, you know, a little more. No, you're right. You see him again, and they're still in character. They're still doing this thing and whatever, and I know. I feel like I'm not very good at it, so I'm trying to talk talk it through with you to see if, if there's a better way. No, I think you've got a good idea because like I said, um, you know, it's always – there's always a chance that he wasn't entirely sold on, on again being a god and um, 
you know, once he sees these other people helping the vill- once he sees this party helping the villagers and then, you know, defeating the cultists mm-hmm. and stuff, maybe he's going to be thinking, hey, hmm, maybe I chose the wrong side. <laughs> well, even if he was sold, you know, he's he's a coward. So maybe he was sold by virtue of, of Gin's power and now he's he has a much more immediate threat. So he, well, that's know. true too. Yeah, good point. So Gin's not there right now. And when he no. is, then, then Gin will deal with these people and he'll be a follower again, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. They've got a lot of uh, um, they still got a lot of things ahead of them to explore. And like I said, it was a shorter session, and I kind of wanted to play. But we'll uh, we're on schedule for this month. So awesome. Cool. Yeah, Mike, you want to try to say anything or ask anything? Um, no, <laughs> probably. <laughs> no, it sounds cool. Excellent. Right on. Yeah. Following following villains is always really interesting to me. You know, I always. I always try to take a different a different look at villains. In fact, my current campaign has no villains, no real clear villains that have attacked yet. Although there's kind of in the shadows, so it's always it's always interesting to say, like, why would a villain attack at all? You know, what what, what benefit do they have? And mm-hmm. right, it's got to make sense. You know, yeah. Right on. Well, then I guess we'll take another break. Uh, this is for Noble Knight. Noble Knight Games is a is a brick and mortar gaming store, but it also has a great online gaming store. And they specialize in finding things that are out of print. And so I asked Mike to help me out this time around. And we picked uh, Queen of the Demon Web, Web Pits. A, what is it, second? No, it's, it's a first edition module. Yep. Yeah, it's been through four printings. Apparently it was a popular one. And these, You won. They have the second through fourth printings available in very good to excellent condition for $18. Do, can either one of you tell me a little bit about the module? I've never actually uh, looked at it. It spawned. It, it was actually, I think, the imp, uh, the 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 um, uh, catalyst that uh, R. A. Salvatore used when he was thinking about Drizzt and built the whole Drow thing. That it was, it was all pre-Drizzt. So, oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah, as I recall the story, it was um, they'd had these creatures called Drow. They were never really detailed as a, as a culture or society, and so. He was allowed to sort of create that. Yeah, but they had the whole relationship between the Drow and 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 Loth. Yeah, that was already kind of wired in. But this is when you know Dark Elves were Dark Elves. They weren't kind of brooding, you know, brooding good guys. You know, they were they were real villains. They're still not brooding good guys. Just, well, just one, just the one. <laughs> but I, no, but I played this module back in oh I don't know, eighty three. Back when the Earth was new. Yeah, back when the Earth was new and and the crust on the planet was still cooling, and um, it got pretty trippy. I was alive in '83. <laughs> I was four. Yeah, there you go. There was a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of uh, extra planar stuff. Yeah, uh, especially when you get down to the demon web itself, these little pocket planes of existence and stuff like that, and it gives lots of hooks. I mean, they're all. I mean, you can literally go off in a thousand directions. And I mean, you can try to stick to the path and get to you know the basis of it, but crawling around on the actual demon web and exploring it is pretty trippy experience in and of itself. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. Right on. Well, so people it's, can. Oh. All right. Well, people can find that at Noble Knight Games, uh, which we'll have a link to them in the show notes. And make sure you tell them that the Tome Show sent you, so that they'll keep sponsoring. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. 
huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. All right, my turn. Your turn. It's the one that you've all been waiting for. At least I know Mike's been anxious to hear about Gameloft. Definitely. I put together probably four or five index cards um, with, you know, NPCs and different locations and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I had a, a three by five piece of paper that I didn't even use. I used about half of it to just scribble down the names of monsters and what books they were in and sort of the way I would reskin them and what I would turn them into. Um, and that was all the prep I did, which is maybe it's a lot less than I normally would have done and probably a little more than a full lazy DM style. Mm-hmm. Sound about right. Um, but, Sounds right. But ultimately, like, it all went really well. It was basically they started at the Monster Mash and invited by the um, the school board that was split between the vampires and the werewolves. Um, Strahd came and kidnapped the uh, the cockroach girl that they then went off to uh, – well, they they were eventually convinced to go after him, I should say. Um, <laughs> I, I took elements of the Ravenloft adventure like the automaton Strahd banging on the organ in the middle of the, the legislature room because that's – they were in the, in the Capitol building, the you know the state congress building. And so he was in the middle, you know, uh, the, the entire uh, legislature was made up of zombies that were all watching him play his organ. Um, they found, yeah, you know, they found a, a secret passage and, and ended up at the, uh, the, the blood warmer room, i.e. the water cooler, you know, um, they had a little fight, ah, right. they had a little fight there with, uh, some vampires and some hellhounds, um, that were gamer world creatures that I'd, I'd reskinned. Um, they ended up at the top of. Strahd's tower after almost being killed by the tower itself, which was alive and had a heart beating in the middle of it right from the, the Ravenloft adventure. Um, they encountered Strahd. They fought Strahd. Eventually, um, the other vampire who was tr- kind of secretly hoping that Strahd would lose so he could try to take over and make a play for power um, showed up and, and suddenly the party wasn't sure what to do and they actually ended up helping Strahd. <laughs> drove, the <other> guy, <laughs> drove the other guy off and Strahd's like, no, I'm just trying to you know, protect, find the woman I, I love. Um, this, this cockroach lady is clearly the reincarnation of her. Uh, and they just sort of accepted it. <laughs> and, and so, <laughs> okay. and so he sent the bottom and it worked out well because, uh, we still had a lot of the evening left. We, we'd gotten that far and it, and only used up half of our night. So, uh, it was going to be, you know, you can, luckily they chose to, to work with Strahd at that point And they went after the, after the uh, governor, hmm. um, <laughs> to help him out. And so, uh, they go after the governor and um, they have to fight the – or they have to – they actually talked their way past the, the front guard uh, assistant guy who was actually a giant um, robotic teddy bear. Um, and they managed to convince him that um, the cockroach lady who was the governor's aide um, was was over at this other place and they and he needed to go get him and, and that he was malfunctioning and all that kind of stuff. They got him thoroughly confused enough that he flew off with his rocket feet. Um, to to go find um, what was going on, and so they wandered into the mansion, and I I didn't have a map or anything, so I just quickly pulled up a 
uh, an online floor plan of the governor's mansion of, of the state of North Carolina. Uh, and so I just sort of used that as my map and, and reskinned a patio room to be sort of the, the mad laboratory of the governor who had turned into a swarm of nanobots. Um, I, I used a, a pretty big baddie um, to as the stats for my swarm of nanobots, sort of with the idea that due to her experimentation, she was actually stuck in this form temporarily until she finished her experiments. And then she would consume the world. Uh, and so they they beat her to a to a, a bloody pulp, and then the teddy bear came crashing through the window, and he turned out to be a pretty big badass. Um, and he was about to take them all out, but one of them's um, had a what is it the the Omega Tech was like an antimatter grenade. Nice. So we we sort of um, played a little fast and fast and loose with the rules there. It was basically every round you roll a d6, and if, and when you roll a six, it explodes. But you never know when it's going to explode. But when <laughs> when it did explode, we just sort of ignored the damage and everything, and, and basically the whole patio thing collapsed with the teddy bear android thing in it. Um, and two of the of the PCs managed to survive to live another day, and everybody else was was a bloody mess. <laughs> and that was Gamaloft. It actually, and and I had almost none of that prepped. You know, I basically had a, a, a card with you know. Um, you know the governor's mansion, the monster mash, and and um, and the the Capitol building. I had a card with you know three NPCs: the teddy bear, the cockroach lady, and somebody else. I had a, a card with um, you know major villains um, and their sort of plots, and and that was pretty much all I had. And I just sort of made the the whole thing up as I went. The only thing I really regret is when we made it took a stop for dinner. I actually told one of the players I was writing with that I was kind of making it up all up as I went. And I feel like that sort of – I think that ruined a little bit of the mystery to them. Like they, they – I wonder if they didn't feel like they they didn't get to sort of figure out the mystery because there was no mystery. I was making the mystery up as I went, you know? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't uncover the plot. The plot was made up depending on what they thought was going on and what I thought was cool. And right, right. Yeah. So I feel like I, if, I shouldn't have shown them my hand until maybe the whole thing was over. Or, or never. Yeah. Or, or never, yeah. Um, did you have any kind of fortune telling session? No, I didn't do any of that. I did do um, the the fiasco style relationships yeah, with yeah. them, and that went really well. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there'd be an interesting way to do like a fortune telling kind of thing. That you know, the, I mean, the funny thing is, Ravenloft doesn't have a plot that's wired out either. No, plot is determined by the fortune telling. Depending right. on, depending on which version you're playing, yes. Yeah, I know the original one and the third edition one both have that. I don't. I don't think the original one did. It does. I have it. <laughs> the original original. That's what I ran. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's the one I have too. I don't. I didn't remember the fortune telling bit from it. I knew the second edition version did. The first edition one does. Okay, I believe that. Yeah. yeah, and it. Uh, uh, there's actually a great set of gothic playing cards that you can buy on Amazon. I'll have, I'll have to give you the link. Uh, yeah, but they're perfect for running the card the card section of Ravenloft. Well, the um, yeah. I think one, the later maybe the second edition one I think actually came with cards. Yeah, it certainly doesn't come with them. But maybe, um, maybe I'm imagining that though. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. But beyond that, that was one session um, a couple weeks ago, and then last weekend I I played Gardmore or I ran Gardmore. I did zero prep for that. Literally zero prep. I'm like, you know, I've read I've read the adventure. Um, there's only a few more places they can go. I'll just figure it out as I as I go. Um, and so, um, 
they they went in and they I, I, in fact I, I decided because I don't know really know where they're going and I don't know what to sort of read ahead on. Um, what I'll read ahead on is the the orc siege of the the watchtower, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what we'll start off with, right? Um, is them being called in for that, and and they got their butt whooped. Really, that tower is the bane of this party. They almost had the TPK taking it to begin with, and then they lost in the the defense of it against the orcs. Um, they did not. They did not min max their their skill challenge um, very very much at all. You know, they 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 very much took skill challenges the way I would like them to. In as much as it was okay, what are you doing? They describe what they what they would logically do, and then I tell them what what kind of role that will be, rather than them looking at their their sheet and saying, "Well, I'm good at this. I'll do that." Um, but that meant that they failed. Uh, they failed. Uh, I want to say twelve times with. No, they failed eight times with, um, like six successes. Hmm. So they, I mean, but I, but I actually ran it. I didn't, um, abstract it. I actually ran it out with miniatures representing the sort of the horde as they were taking levels of the tower and they were actually fighting some of the creatures as they went along and integrated sort of the optional combat with the champion in there as well. Hmm. And they just got the floor wiped with them. Um, so, but they were, they surrendered, um, they were ransomed off to Pedreg, and now the orcs are sort of entrenched in there to stay, which is fine because they were pretty well done with the, everything they needed to do with the orcs anyway. The only thing they haven't done is take on the chief, which Pedreg sort of you know hinted, you know, it'd be nice to at least blacken their eye a little bit and go kill their leader. <laughs> so they may, they, I think they're going to go for that later, but right now they just said, you know what, we'll come deal with the orcs after we've had a chance to uh, recover and boost our confidence and go do something else. So they went down into the vault. Yep, and the first thing they did, they go, they entered th- to the vault, and they took the the big double doors to the left, and oh, hey, look, a dragon, and that's where that's where we stopped for the night. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, so I, 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 I pulled out the mini, I put the dragon on the map, and then I took the the Sir Oakley token and put put it behind the dragon. I said, and that's what you see. See in two weeks. Wow, um, which is a, a bigger shocker because uh, Sir Oakley, so far as they're concerned, is dead. And was interred in the temple of Bahamut back in Falkrest. But I'm I'm playing it up a little bit like you did, where he's actually one of the original paladins and is deathless. Hmm. Ah, cool. So that's what I've done. Um, next, I got to figure. I think we're going to be done with the the whole Gardmore Abbey thing um, before Christmas, anyway. I think in two or three more sessions we'll be finished and I need to figure out what my big sort of climactic finale is going to be. Hmm. I've been thinking about, um, you know, I know how you did the, the cards manifested as a Dracolich. Yeah. I think what I'm going to do, because one of my characters who died back in the original assault on the tower came back, uh, with no memory of, of any of it or of ever meeting the party. Um, and I've sort of discussed, and I think I've talked, talked about it here that he's, um, he doesn't know it, but he's secretly a manifestation of a dead god of chaos. Hmm. That that was that was what that character worshipped before, and so he's naturally drawn to the cards. And so I'm thinking that when he when they finally collect all the cards, he'll get all the cards, and then that god will then manifest and become the big bad villain at the end. That's cool. Which I think will be really cool. The trick is, then what do I do with that player? Because <laughs> I just made his character the bad guy. Do I let, <laughs> do I let him play the bad guy, or does sort of the the God manifest out of him and leave his body. And then he still has his, his own body and can do whatever he wants. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Cause even at that point, I sort of feel like he might still just join his God. 
It say, depends on <laughs> what – I would ask the player what he wants to do. Yeah, I suppose I should talk to him. I, I don't want to tip my hand too much though, you know? Right. I don't know. You can make it hypothetical. Let's say that you were <laughs> yeah. somehow taken over by a god. How would you handle that situation? Mm-hmm. And I, it's an evil god, by I the think way. he would be into it because he really likes integrating himself into the into the stories and stuff, and that's where when when I can really get him excited. Oh, um, that'll probably work. I bet no, he won't have a problem. I, I think he'll love it. It's just a, it's just an issue of that that combat. What do I do with him? Do I actually just hand him the stats and let him play the god? And you know, just sit back and let have a big party fight. Oh, that'd be cool, actually. Um, you know, that might actually I, be a lot of fun. All right, here's your stat block. I'm going to sit over here, and you tell me how it turns out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you know, I could do that because I feel like if I have the god manifest out of him, he's probably going to join the god, and it, you know, then, then I'm playing the god, and the, the party has to fight him and the god, which might be okay, too. He's an Avenger, so he runs pretty well on his own without the support. Oh, there you go. Cool. Any, yeah, like any suggestions, Mike? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of it would depend on how, what that player would do if the god manifested out of him. Would he fight him? Would, you know, would the god kind of force him to fight him? I don't know. I feel like he'd probably join the god. Yeah, well, that's probably right. takes the god What side. does that mean? Now you got a player character and an NPC fighting. The and, other and at that player. point, I might as well just hand him the, the stat block and let him play that instead of having two things to fight. Yeah, it's an, it's an option. I don't know. And then, I mean, the other option is to, you know, try to keep the players on the same side and, um, you know, make it something else, right? Maybe it's a, maybe it's the villain against that evil God. Maybe it's the guy who killed that God that, that died, you know, some other, some other way to keep the PCs all on the same side. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. I'll think about it. Maybe I'll talk to him a little bit and try to gauge where he's at and see, see what he's thinking. I, mean, I think that's your best plan is talk to him first, but I kind of like the idea of a party fight. That's not a bad idea. So, Well, and the party was not, isn't that unified anyway. They all have their own individual goals, and I designed it that way from the beginning because they each had individual quests that were straight out of the book. But you know, right. one of them has one quest and one of them has the other quest, and one of them is trying to collect um, you know, items for the, the Iron Circle because he's secretly an agent of the Iron Circle, and the other ones are doing this thing, and they don't know he's an agent of the Iron Circle, and – um, you know, and this one was brought back by Paylor to take on Vaden Cartwright. Well, now he has, and how long is that that extended life going to last? How, you know, is he just going to fade away and die? So they've all got sort of their individual goals anyway. They're not; they've never really been very unified, other than they have their goals sort of run parallel. Hmm. And there's always been tension between this chaos. Uh, um, Avenger and everybody else. Anyway, they're starting. Some of them are starting to get real nervous about the fact that he keeps asking to hold all the cards. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll talk to them and, and see what they say. Sounds good. That's all right. Cool. I like it. I'm digging it. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's it. That's a short episode, huh? The last time we said that, we ended up chatting again for another 15 minutes before the episode is over. <laughs> One thing's for sure, Gamma World sure is weird. It is, I, although I think it was fun, and I think I'll be able to convince him to do it uh, again, maybe some one-shots here and there. Yeah. I'm a yeah, little, I loved Gamma World. I I'll, still love it. I I'll still be, love running it in one-shots. I'll be, curious to see what, I'll be curious to see what happens when we finish Guardmore, um, because theoretically somebody else could actually end up DMing, and then I won't have much to talk about. Wow. Hmm. At least for a month or so. You can talk about how terrible your DM is. No. <laughs> there you go. I think I think at least one of them listens to the show. 
Oh, well, in that case, maybe maybe that wouldn't be a great plan, but... Or an even better plan to see if he's paying attention. Yeah, here's everything that he did wrong, and <laughs> but you could also say here's everything I did. He did right. So, in fact, he did a little mini uh, campaign of he did the mini campaign of Dark Sun um, when I took oh, a hiatus right. a while ago. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. In fact, I, he was just on. He might still be. Uh, I think he's off now. I think they were recording the book club just a, a few minutes ago. I missed the book club episode to be on here with you guys. We were just booked too solid, as it should be. <laughs> All right. Well, if nobody else has anything to say, um, I'm going to encourage everybody to go out there. If this comes out before the end of November, to go out to uh, Hono to Grow a org and sponsor my beard. Um, I am growing a beard, and people can sponsor it, and all the money goes to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Last year, I got $500 or more than $500. I'm hoping to, to match that goal this year. Sweet. I'll do it right now. Awesome. Thank I, you. Wait, wait, give me the link. Where do I go? I will send you a link, and we'll also link it in the show notes. Um, and thanks, everybody. Say, everybody. say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.